This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. For many years, 529 plans have helped American families save money for college education of their children. But in the last year or so, a version of this called 529-ABLE plans have begun to grow. These newer plans will allow people with disabilities to put money away tax-free to help pay for education or housing or transportation or employment training. To take a look at the value and the effects of these plans, we welcome in Wharton's Kent Smethers, professor of business economics and public policy. And you also hear him weekly, Tuesdays, 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time, host of Your Money, right here on Sirius XM 111. And also joining us via the phone, Lex Frieden, who's a professor at the University of Texas Health Science Center based in Houston. Kent, happy new year. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Thanks very much. Lex, great to have you on the phone again. Thanks. Good morning. Great. Uh, from the business side, Ken, yeah. how important is this addition to the 529 culture? Uh, it's going to be a, a small addition in terms of aggregate uh, assets. So the 529, whenever you hear the, the numbers, it always comes from IRS tax code. The 529 is um, different than the 401k, which is another part of the tax code. And that 529s are actually administered at the state level. So some states will not do 529 plans. There's Wyoming doesn't even have a 529 education plan. Yeah. It looks like 15 states will not do the 529 ABLE uh, uh, plans. Um, but we know 529 education plans are you know one-tenth of the size of 401k plans, which are in turn you know one-third of the size of IRA accounts. And so 529 ABLE plans will probably be a very small fraction, even relative to 529 uh, education plans. Lex, from, from your perspective, what is the level of importance in including these plans going forward, the 529 ABLE? Well, it's an important statement. Philosophically, the, yeah. the approach is at least equally as important as the potential impact. I think Professor Smetters right. makes a good point. We know there are 58 million people with disabilities in the United States today. Only a portion of those people will be eligible to um, invest in the uh, ABLE account plan. And uh, the, the restrictions on it actually on the eligibility reduce the number of potential uh, investors. And then among those people, it's difficult to imagine a great number of them being able to have the funds necessary to make an investment, and others might not even see the opportunity, although it is for those who are eligible and those who do have the the, uh, the wisdom to choose that opportunity, it is a great um, uh, opportunity. Yeah. What are those medical qualifications that you were talking about? Well, first of all, to be eligible, a person has to have had the onset of their disability before age 26, and they must also be able to prove that they have a, a, a disability. Um, now, thank goodness the IRS has made fairly 
uh, generous uh, rules as it relates to proving disability. In other words, uh, at, this is one of the few programs where a person doesn't have to go through a long process uh, and be examined by multiple physicians and, and others in order to prove their eligibility for the program. Uh, they have to deem it and they have to have some evidence that they do have a disability in case, they, uh, in case they're asked. But um, the, the real issue here are the, the small number of people, given the age break there, who might be eligible. And, and the conservative estimate, I think, is around 5.8 million people, or 1% or 10% of the uh, yeah. population of people with disabilities. And, and, and Alexis' point is really important, and that is a lot of people who are disabled, either the parents of a disabled child who often means that they're not both working when they're staying home mm -hmm. with the child, or if you're an adult who's disabled, you're in a pretty low tax bracket, typically. Sure. Yeah. And so in some states, for example, 529 plans give you no state tax relief. In Pennsylvania, they do. In California, for example, they do not. And it, so it's really the federal tax and, they, and how these work is you put your money in um, after tax, it yep. grows tax-free and then you can withdraw it later on um, and with no penalties or taxes provided you use it for disability. Um, but, you know, the, the value of the tax benefit for a lot of people is going to be pretty 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 small. I think there is a bigger conversation that um, he just brought up too and that is this is great for people who uh, qualify um, sure. uh, for this and who are in this kind of perfect position where they actually can have some assets while being disabled. And by the way, the evidence in the 529 college plans are the government takes a pretty broad view yeah. on what qualifies as education. I imagine they'll be pretty broad here is, is my hope. But at the same time, these plans do reflect uh, a continued fragmentation of how we treat healthcare because we're not really doing it correctly. It's, it's, it's a sign of a much bigger problem mm -hmm. that we're not properly thinking about how to, how to deal with the disability challenge. But it is, it is at least opening a, an avenue that, that hadn't been there before, I guess, to some respects, yeah. right? Dan, let me give you an example. Right now, if a person who has a disability is qualified for, eligible to, and receives Social Security SSI uh, payments yep. that are subsidized by the state, uh, those people must report any income in excess of $2,000 right. per year. And when they do, they may be eligible. They may not any longer be eligible for the uh, for the income received through the SSI program right. and for the additional benefits, which may include Medicaid, that will be insurance, health insurance that they might need. And so, um, this has been a a restriction, a disincentive that has prevented many people with disabilities from even trying uh, to be uh, productive and to be in the workforce. Right. Yeah. The ABLE plan will enable people to put money aside up to $14,000 a year into this savings account, and that uh, money won't be counted towards the, you know, the $2,000 uh, ceiling there that they have. So uh, there is, you know, for those people who meet the qualifications, uh, this could be very significant. Sure. It could give them a step, a foot at least, an opportunity to to get into the workforce. It could also enable them to save money to pay some expenses that the Medicaid might not pay. Right. So if they, for example, have need for a, a new computer 
uh, technical assistance in their in their uh, home if they need some kind of um, of uh, assistance in the home, some home care of some kind that has an expense that they will pay for themselves then they can put money into this fund. And furthermore, if they don't spend the money, then, of course, the, the, uh, there is the opportunity to have uh, uh, income from the savings. So, you know, it's not insignificant, but in the overall course of disability policy and the great disincentives people with disabilities who are eligible for benefits face, it, it, it doesn't solve a, a big problem here. It's only part of a solution. We've been picking away at these disincentives literally for decades now. Right. Uh, 844-WHARTON is the number if you'd like to jump in and ask a question and talk about this. We're talking about 529-ABLE plans, 844-942-7866. In terms of that that age uh, guideline, 26 years of age, Lex, how did that really come about? I mean, what was the, the background behind deciding if the disability has... Uh, really come forth by age 26? Well, the the major proponents of the ABLE Act were uh, advocates of people mostly with intellectual disabilities, or we call them de- developmental disabilities. Okay. Uh, people, um, many parents of kids who were born with disabilities were concerned about being able to um, uh, to have a savings account for their children and and uh, so they were great advocates for this particular provision and uh, and I think the age 26 is correlated to some degree with the notion that people who are disabled at birth or those who uh, who acquire disabilities younger in life may have greater needs than yep. those older uh, I don't necessarily agree with that, but that that's the genesis, I think, of the regulation. Can you mentioned that I guess what about thirty five states will will have this five two nine able right. plan? Uh, is the is the belief that that we may at some point see this in every state, or is thirty five kind of a hard number for right now? No, I mean I imagine with political pressure and lobbying, it, it will expand. The issue is, keep in mind, not all states even have five twenty nine education right. plans. Right. The issue really is is that um, a lot of states don't want to absorb kind of the fixed cost of setting a new thing up. And it's not like you can exactly leverage the existing technology. It's, it's, it provides you some advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still a lot of administrative costs when they don't think this, it's going to do very much. Now, how some states do it, if you're in a state that doesn't have a 529 plan, you, you can actually use 529 plans from other states. Um, right. you, you just don't get yep. your own. If your own state offers a, a, a deduction on your income taxes, um, you don't get to take advantage of that. But if you're living in California, we often tell people in California, use the 529 plans on the education side from like Michigan or Utah, simply because they have better websites, better interactive activity. You still get the federal tax deduction. Mm-hmm. Now, some states also have what's called reciprocity agreements. If you use a 529 plan from another state, they'll recognize that for their own state income tax purposes. So I can imagine some states saying, you know, um, just use a different state, we'll recognize it or not, in the case of California. And, um, you know, there are some logical economies of scale. I mean, in in some sense, the 529 was not the great wrapper (laughs) for this. It probably would have been better to have a federal wrapper like 401k or something like that. But nonetheless, um, that's 
you know, uh, the federal government didn't want to absorb the costs for this either. Are, are there are there overall caps on on the the amounts of money that that people will be able to put away through these five two nine able plans? Yeah, and it's about fourteen thousand uh, dollars a year. I right. imagine that will be indexed um, over time. Although they index the five twenty nine education plans very kind of slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the four hundred one k maximum contributions get indexed with inflation almost every other year, something like that. Um, but you, so it, what's nice about this is, and Alex really puts, uh, brings up an important point, you can't really accumulate a lot of savings, investments, um, income, things like that, um, you know, outside of these, these plans. This is kind of the mechanism for doing that without accounting against the, um, the SSI uh, tax. Now, one of the reasons why for the age 26 um, restriction, too, is that disability is a very murky concept. Mm-hmm. Um, we know disability rates have increased dramatically once you've hit um, you know, uh, o- older ages. Um, lots of the disabilities are hard to verify, neck, back, and, and so forth. Sure. Disability rates suddenly increase as the unemployment rate goes up. For, sure. some, for some reason, people uh, become more disabled. Um, big debate on kind of that. Um, I think it, 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 the whole point here is that not to try to uh, pool, risk pool disability that is from work employment or lots of other things. Yeah. It really is to try to these things that are maybe like genetic or yeah. things that are a lot outside of our kind of own own decisions. And to this point, Lex, uh, that designation really hasn't been uh, or has it been made in terms of the qualifications, uh, you know, for who can who can be in the 529 able plan? Well, the, no, the work-related qualification doesn't doesn't really apply right, here. Yeah, right. That's that's not relevant to this. Yeah. But I, I do agree with Professor Smethers, Smethers' uh, point. Disability, as we age, uh, sometimes becomes correlated with work, and and uh, therefore the the number of people who might be served here will vary dramatically, even from one period of uh, time when the economy is strong to a period of time when it's not so strong. The, the big problem that we're dealing with here, Dan, is the whole concept of disincentives. Mm-hmm. Early on, the Social Security program included a program called SSDI, Social Security for Disabled Individuals. And in order to be eligible for that program, a person has to have worked so many quarters and then uh, have a disability, and they'll be eligible to receive uh, Social Security Disability Insurance. Now, the assumption was made when the program was put together that these people would have a lifelong disability and they would receive this Social Security payment just like old age retirement benefits would be received by someone who retires uh, at age, back then, 65. Yep. So the uh, Social Security Disability Program has been... Uh, in has had a problem since the beginning for people with disabilities who are able to work and who want to go back to work uh, because they risk not only losing that cash benefit but also the medical benefits that are tied to that yeah. uh, in the case of uh, SSDI Medicare and in the case of SSI Medicaid. So we have to, at some point, break that relationship. The Social Security Administration has been trying for years. There have been a number of attempts to do that. Uh, but we we don't really have a comprehensive approach to these disincentives. And, 
And the more we try to simplify it, the more people seem to be afraid that it's a, a ruse and, and they won't take the risk to go to work. And as a result of that, a very low proportion of people who ever are eligible for Social Security disability uh, payments ever return to work. Right. Even though uh, with the technology that we have today and the opportunities in the workplace, they might well be working and they could probably earn a lot more money or, or get a lot more income through working if they uh, if they would do so but they don't want to jeopardize those benefits right how how tough is the is going to be the management of these plans because of as you said all of the the, the kind of murkiness in terms of uh, of the disabilities themselves as people get older lex well, the IRS, as far as the ABLE plan is concerned, has been, as I said, very generous. They've, they have tried as much as possible, I think, to reduce all the the requirements in the ABLE plan. They've been, if if you are under age 26 and you have a disability and you deem yourself so and have some kind of evidence in a file somewhere that you can prove it if somebody asks you, then I believe you can can be eligible for one of these plans. So they've tried to reduce those hoops and, and encourage people to participate in this kind of a savings plan. Another point about the, uh, uh, the ABLE plans is that the individual who is the beneficiary of those plans does not necessarily need to be the only contributor to the plan. Right, right. So a family member uh, can contribute to an individual's plan, a friend, a neighbor, um, the the concept of, uh, of social uh, media funding of a plan for somebody who wants to save enough money in order to uh, to to have some kind of a technological assistive device that they need. You know, there's some creative ways here to to uh, to generate funds for investing. In yeah, these. and that's a good point. The fourteen thousand is exactly equal to the GIF tax. Tax exclusion. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. and so you can contribute up to fourteen thousand dollars for another individual per year. Um, the account is technically owned by you, not not the individual that you select as a beneficiary. In fact, mm-hmm. you could always change the beneficiary over time to, to somebody else. Um, it, it, but you, as the person who's maybe not disabled, who's contributing to this plan, you can get the tax. Um, uh, uh, deductions uh, or the, the, the exclusions on uh, tax and the interest over time. So it's just like the gift tax, get, gifting somebody, you know, that $14,000 over the course of the year, you will get that, you will get that break. You will get that break, yeah. And so, for example, you know, I put, we put money into for my nieces and nephews in California where they're the 529 does not have the income tax sure. uh, deduction. And, you know, we, we enjoy that deduction here here in PA. And so my earlier point about for a lot of people contributing themselves, it's not going to have a lot of value in terms of the tax deduction. A lot of those are already low income people often are paying very little taxes. Um, but for uh, people who want to be charitable or p- p- provide for somebody else, then yeah. it could be a much bigger tax uh, uh, shield. I guess in some respects, though, Lex, that you, you almost, in some cases, have to have the ability of somebody able, uh, somebody else being able to contribute to the fund, considering that in some cases, the disability may be to the point where, uh, you know, it, it's very hard for the person to be able to yeah. go to work. 
Well, in general, that's true. Although I think it's interesting that many people who are on SSI uh, and receiving SSI benefits have the ability to to generate income through work. Mm -hmm. They may not be able to work full-time, and they may not be able to do jobs that, that ordinarily would pay a lot on an hourly basis, but they can, there are many, many things that they can do to sure. generate income and earn money. And, uh, and some people do very well uh, in that regard. Working at home now with technology, so much we can do. Yeah. But, uh, it, it, you know, they're limited to $2,000 in income in the current uh, uh, scenario. Right. And, uh, I, you know, I really do think that those people who may be frustrated because they can only earn $2,000 in the creative ways they figured out to do that, now will at least have the opportunity to be able to uh, put some of that money into a savings account. From a public policy perspective, there's a, there's a economists deal with this tension all the time, and that is, especially for this type of program, the rationale from a public policy perspective of why you want to have these these uh, income and asset tests for these various different programs yeah. is that the evidence from other countries is that if you make eligibility too easy, like in the Netherlands and other places, suddenly lots of people are sure. disabled <laughs> yes. and, and so forth. Exactly and right. so the idea was to deal with this moral hazard problem. As Lex is pointing out, it creates these incentives on the other side where um, people who are um, disabled, and as he correctly points out, technology has changed the game. We're not you know, building buildings and moving bricks and yeah. you know, coal mines anymore. Um, and lots of those people could go back. And our current policy right now is not very rational. One of the things we're doing in the public policy initiative here at Wharton is we're looking at this disability um, uh, type program and suggesting ways of potentially making improvements. So uh, this is something that even though this is, this is out there, that we could see potential tweaks to it in, in the next few years. I hope so. I mean, the, the fact that matters, the, everything that we do about disability, and this is a broader concept for another show, sure. but is completely off the mark in the sense that from a society perspective, what we should be doing is what we're, here's what we're currently doing. We're risk pooling, and that is saying everybody pays the same amount on things that we shouldn't be risk pooling on. Like yeah. So uh, the CDC says you know, about 75% of all healthcare spending in the United States is for chronic metabolic diseases. Yeah. Those things are largely preventable by diet, exercise, and so forth. Yep. But how is healthcare delivered in the United States is through mostly group plans and now the ACA. You can't discriminate on things like uh, metabolic or diet and exercise in group health plans at, at the workplace. You and I pay the same amount if, sure, we, yeah. if, we, if we elect the same plan, even if I'm less healthy than you. And um, same thing with uh, in, inside the ACA and those things. Well, those things are largely in our control. Sure, we should yeah. be pulling on that. If if people paid another another two hundred dollars a month because of their diet and exercise, that may actually cause them to change. What we should be pulling on are things that are beyond our control. Things like you know genetic issues, disabilities, yeah. things like that. And so we're pulling essentially on the exactly the wrong thing in society. And then we try to make up with it <laughs> yeah. with these different little programs <laughs> yeah. here. And we just at some point we need to do a whole big revision of how we uh, treat health care. Lex? Yeah, I think the, uh, the point regarding the definition of disability is, is extraordinarily important. Disability now means much uh, a different thing than it did years ago. And, and people with disabilities should be able to be independent. They should yeah. be able to be productive. Disability doesn't necessarily need to mean 
that someone cannot work, doesn't work, may not work. And uh, and so we have to change the the definition there, and we and modernize our approach to uh, to income support. And and I, you know, we've made some progress with uh, the the medical care programs, with the insurance programs, but we've moved one direction and then slid back another. The the real opportunity here is for us to see disability uh, in a different light and to understand what the implications of disability for the individual are. Disability may actually make somebody more vulnerable to certain kinds of health-related conditions, and therefore we need to make sure that those people don't pay a penalty simply because they're more vulnerable. They should be encouraged to continue working and encouraged and incentivized for living independently in the community. The reality now is that we have thousands of people with disabilities, both young and old, who are living in institutions in nursing homes, not able to sustain themselves in the community when their lives would be uh, a higher quality, when they could be far more productive, when their families would enjoy them and their communities would benefit from their full engagement and full participation in the community simply because we don't have an infrastructure set up to provide assistance to them in their homes. They have to go to a warehouse or a nursing home in order to spend the end of their lives. That's just wrong. Yeah. What do you see then, then I guess, for some families that that may fall into this category, is it the right time now to potentially jump on board and and get involved in this? Or do you wait a little while to see, as you said, this is in somewhat in flux with some states out there. And and because you have the option of, of investing in a plan in another state, do you wait towards the end of the year to see how this all kind of shakes out over the next few months? I, I, I would get going now. I mean, even if you start a 529 plan in, in, in another state, you still get the federal tax benefit sure, yeah. uh, uh, from it. And so... Um, and some states, again, you know, that will have ABLE plans will treat it just like any other 529 plan, which are, are usually the education plans, and the um, they won't give a, a state tax deduction. And one reason why California does this because their rates are so high, they don't want to give away all that money. Sure, yeah. And yeah. so I think um, it's, it's a, I, would, I would just get started because at least you get the federal uh, uh, tax deduction, which is still the biggest tax for most people. Right. And, and Dan, the other side of that, too, is that even if people don't see uh, a great upside to the investment strategies, the investment opportunities, it is it will protect resources. Sure, yeah, and it will yeah. enable people to yeah. shelter the you know up to fourteen thousand dollars a year there yeah. from the requirements that some states impose with respect to uh, income on uh, SSI and other benefits. Well, and and no matter how many people that uh, out of that 5.8 million that, that you mentioned like before would actually be able to get to that 14,000 level, a lot of them may be at that 2, 3, 4, 5,000 level and that's still a savings. That, that, Absolutely. That, that people will be able to have. Yeah. It's money that they would not have in the bank otherwise. So, right. that, you know, I would encourage people to look seriously at this and take advantage of every opportunity for people right. with with uh, severe disabilities and family members that have people with severe disabilities, kids with severe disabilities. They need to look at other options, too, uh, at, at certain trusts that are available to them. Yeah. Um, and these are in some respects, maybe better opportunities for saving larger amounts of money and even generate a, yeah. a higher rate of return. But yeah. 
they, the benefit of the ABLE plan is it's relatively simple. You don't necessarily have to have an attorney and a financial advisor yeah. to get into an ABLE plan. The others you probably do. And a, oh, lot, do. And a lot of those people are probably already uh, ha- have massive medical bills to, to deal with in the first place. So any time that they can save a little money, it, it, they're certainly going to be benefiting from it. Exactly. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.